Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. We are indwelled by the Spirit. Every believer has that. The Bible encourages us in Ephesians that we would ask God to fill us, that we would be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. That has to do with your yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Spirit is not some magical thing that happens, you know, in a service where it gets all riled up. It's, it's you saying, God, I'm yielding to you. God, fill me. Fill me says that I'm going to yield to the Lord as he guides and directs. And there'll be more of him and less of me filling my life. When we become Christians, we know that Jesus is inside of our hearts, working on us. But do we remember the Holy Spirit today in his message? Pastor Bill wants you to know that you should feel consumed by the Holy Spirit working through your life. It is not some magic ghost or a special feeling that you experience. He is the Godhead working in tandem with God to empower your life. Never forget the amazing things that happen when you let the Holy Spirit move in your life. Be changed through Him. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Judges chapter 15 for today's edition of The Transforming Word. You read through your Bible and look at the interesting people that God used. Uh, the weak people, the, the, the broken vessels, the the, un, the people that look like, man, this didn't really seem like this guy would be used for. This person would be a tool in the hand of God, but he took him and he used him for his glory. And so moving on now, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he broke those ropes. I said to take note of that because later on, Samson's going to be in another situation when Delilah starts to woo him. Tell me the secret of your strength. And he's been here before. He's like, you know what happens? If you tie me up with fresh ropes, oh, I'll become weak like anybody else because he has an experience here with these fresh ropes. And I keep looking at things that are kind of woven together in Samson's life. Here's one thing. We'll, we'll look at it in just a minute where, where he touches another dead thing. What's the, what's the dead thing he's already touched? Lion. Lion. He went in there to get the honey and nothing happened. So, so look at this again. Look at it says in verse 15. So when he broke his hands free, it says he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey reached his hand out and took it and he killed a thousand men with it. And then Samson said with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. I think he used to want to rap. Um, that, that was like, that was his little poem. You know, that, He made a song about what he just did with the jawbone. That's literally, if you look at the phrasing, he, that's a song he wrote. He threw a little, it might have rhymed in Hebrew, you know. And so, he might have been a rapper on the side, y'all. So, here's the deal, right? He touched the dead thing again. And one of the things of the Nazarite, they weren't to touch anything unclean. Anything dead to an Israelite was considered unclean. He did it once, nothing happened. You know, he killed the lion with his bare hands. When he came back down the road, he saw that there's bees and honey in the lion. He went and took it and ate it and gave some to his parents, but he didn't tell them where he got it from. Nothing happened. Here it goes again, sees a dead thing. Jawbone of a donkey, picks it up and kills a thousand Philistines with it. And nothing happens. And like I told you before, we looked at that verse in Ecclesiastes 8.11, because the sentence on an evil deed is not executed speedily, right away, because you don't get spanked immediately, the hearts of men get set to do evil, to continue to do the wrong thing. And so here, looks like he's getting away with it again. I touched another dead thing. I broke another one of the vows of the Nazarite and nothing happened. Nothing happened to me yet. And once again, we want to be careful not to count God's patience. His slowness to anger. We don't want to count that for his acceptance, his agreement, because because he's slow to anger, because he's patient. When God does finally whoop your butt, 
it's, 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 you're going to you're going to deserve it and it's going to be brutal. It's not going to be lightweight. I believe that God is I'm patient. I'm, 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 I've spoken to you about this. I sent conviction. I woke you up. I sent that person that one day. I gave you all these little ways and opportunities out, but you wouldn't take them. So now I'm coming with the with the <laughs> with the big belt. You know, I'm coming with the whatever it is. God's going to come with it. And I have been witness to this in people's lives. People that wouldn't come because God said come. The Lord had to inter- intervene in more just in a more significant way. And so I would challenge us, encourage us, challenge us here that are that are saved, that know the Lord, that we would be really careful to to listen to the Lord. And um, two two individuals that I would if you're writing notes, you could write down um, Second Chronicles 32 and 33. And I'm not going to go through all of it, but I want to point out two of the two of the kings there um, in Second Chronicles 33. We have the we have a king named Manasseh. Um, Manasseh's father was Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the best kings. He was one of the most godly kings, one of the most God fearing, God honoring kings that Israel had. Somehow his son just didn't get it, and so Manasseh came behind us, his godly father, and Manasseh went to town. Manasseh went and everything his dad had done right, he started undoing it, and he even the Bible says he was seducing the people of God. He went beyond just sending himself. He was like, I want to seduce others to do it as well. And so if you look at uh, uh, 2 Chronicles 33, starting in verse 10, it says the Lord spoke to Manasseh and the people, but he would not listen. This is therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh with a hook with hooks um, that basically the Assyrians will put a hook in your nose and a chain link to the to the person in front of you and hooking his nose and a chain link. And they would carry they would walk you through the town. Like this, they would have a chain and they're walking you through with hooks in your nose like they caught fish. And what it would do is produce fear in everybody else. Don't mess with us. Don't cross us. God let him be taken captive by the Assyrians in that way. And it says he was bound with bronze fetters and carried off to Babylon. Then verse 12. Now, when he was in affliction, he implored the Lord his God and he humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And he received his entreaty and heard his supplication and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. And this is what it says. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And so God said, look, Manasseh, I, I spoke to you. You wouldn't listen. And then I sent the captains of the king of Assyria and they took you. And then when he was in captivity, getting beat on and treated like a slave, he was like, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, he broke. And how merciful is God? That he heard. And God could see that God could see that you're not sorry you got caught now. Now you're really sorry. You're sorry for where you are. You're sorry about what you've done before me. Know that God can see that, right? God can see a, a heart. God knows when my heart is repenting or my heart is sorry that, man, I'm sorry for what this is costing me right now. God saw that it was genuine and sincere and God forgave him. But I just will point out, do you guys think that that cost him a lot? Like he could have avoided all that because God spoke first. If he had to just listened when God spoke, he would have never been in captivity. He was in captivity because when God spoke, he wouldn't listen. And so I want to compare him and I don't have time. To, if you go backwards to chapter 31, Hezekiah, his father, who was one of the most godly kings in Israel. But he had a moment when his heart got lifted up with pride and the Lord saw the pride of his heart. So look, sorry, I said 31. I mean, Second Chronicles 32. Look at verses 25 to 26 and 26 it says in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And he prayed to the Lord and the Lord spoke and gave him a sign. 
But Hezekiah did not repay according to the favor shown him, for his heart was lifted up. That means he was full of pride. Therefore, the wrath, therefore wrath was looming over him and over Judah and Jerusalem. So Hezekiah gets filled with pride. God hates pride. The judgment of God is looming over him and all the people that he oversees. And this is what it says. Then Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart. And, the and he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon him, them in the days of Hezekiah. I, I read that and I think God didn't even speak yet. Hezekiah was sensitive. And he said, I'm tripping. What am I all prideful about? And it says he repented of the pride and God saw that he repented. Now, but before he repented, God said the wrath of the wrath of God was looming over him and the people. But this man said, well, I'm tripping. And I would just point this out to all of us. We're going to come back to Judges now. But if there are things that are not right and God speaks to you, please listen quickly. Just obey God. I'm sorry. You're right. I'm wrong. I repent. You're God. I'm not. If the Holy Spirit is bringing conviction upon you, right? Be sensitive to his voice. God, you, you know what? You're convicting me about this. Let me stop ignoring the conviction of your spirit. Let me respond. I want to I grow in the sensitivity to you, Lord. And so I know you're speaking to me about, let me just receive that from you. Tell somebody what God spoke to you. Make yourself accountable to the things that God is showing you, even if it's private. God may speak to you in your private world. He does that. He lives inside you. You got to bring that to the light. You know, have the, whoever you have that you pray with, that you trust, share that with the people that you trust. This is what God is speaking to you about. So you don't forget it for the next day. Someone can challenge you and talk to you about it. But don't be like Manasseh who blew the Lord off. God is using him despite him at, at this moment. He's still killing Philistines and um, and God is still using him for that, but it's going to come at a cost to Samson eventually that he continues to live this way. Uh, so now back to Judges, picking up at verse 17 after his little rap. Uh, it says, and, and, it was, and so it was when he had finished speaking that he threw the jawbone from his hand and called the place Rama Lehi. That means jawbone heel. Verse 18, then he became very thirsty. So he cried out to the Lord and said, you have given me this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised. So he prays. I want you to note that this is, you know, with Samson, you read his whole story and you don't really see him praying. You don't really see him crying out to the Lord. This time we hear him crying out to the Lord because he's, thir he's thirsty and he's afraid that he's going to, you know, die of thirst out here, you know. So um, he cries out to the Lord. He prayed, you know, that God would give him something to drink. And it said, verse 19, so God split the hollow place that is in Lehi and water came out and he drank and his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, he called the name uh, in Hakor, uh, which is in Lehi to this day. And that means the spring of the caller or the well, the well of him who called out. So God gives him what he asked for. Uh, I was thinking of Philippians 4, 19, where Paul there says that my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And again, I look at Samson, I think, man, he's being a knucklehead. He disobeyed the Lord. He picked up something dead again. God still let him kill the Philistines, a thousand of them. He seems like he's taking credit for it when he makes a little rap, you know. But then here in his prayer, he says, God, you, you delivered me. You gave me this great victory. Um, but now I'm going to die of thirst. I'm thirsty. And God said, okay, okay. And he, and, and I, again, supernaturally so, God provides water for him. God opened up a hollow in the rock. Um, and you can read over that real quick and just think, oh, yeah, you know, this is the Bible story about, about Samson. But many of us are at times in places of need where we need God to provide. We need God to do things. And here we're reminded that God showed up. 
It was a supernatural thing. He cried out and God heard him. Now, I don't know if any of you guys are as bad as Samson, but I mean, if God heard Samson, then would he hear you? <laughs> you know, I, I hope that you have enough faith. I hope you believe that God listens when his kids cry out. Um, and again, it has to be a work of grace. I wouldn't say God is listening to Samson because he's doing he's doing great. You know, I wouldn't say God's answering Samson's prayer because he's a man of God. He's doing he's doing awesome for God. God's listening to Samson's prayer because God is gracious. That's the only thing I can. That's the only that's the only reason I could find. Why is God listening? Because God is gracious and he's merciful. And the man was thirsty and God gave him something to drink. Verse 20 now says, and he um, and and he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So that was the length of Samson's uh, judging of Israel for 20 years. Uh, it says that there, but we're not done with his life. We have the rest of verse 16. Uh, we're going to look at the first uh, three verses of chapter 16. So it says, now Samson went to Gaza and he saw a harlot there and he went into her. So here's another area of Samson's life that is not right. Um, first, he sees the woman in, Philist in the Philistine territory and he says, I want her. She pleases me. Get her. I don't care what my parents say. I want her. At least then he was going to marry her. You know, it was going to be an unbiblical marriage, but he's like, I'm still want her. I want to take her for a wife. I want to marry her. But he didn't even get that. I want you to note, too, that some of the things that Samson was willing to send against God to get, he never got. He got the marriage, but he never consummated that marriage. Y'all know that, right? Uh, by the time he went, remember when he finally got done being mad at the girl and was like, OK, I'm going to go up there and take a goat. We're going to have a nice little romantic dinner, eat some, you know, eat some, eat some leg of lamb and I'm going to have my wife. And he got up there and she was married to his best man. And so uh, he, he didn't even get the thing that I'm, he sent against God to get it. And God's like, you're not going to have it. Never gonna, he, he didn't even have it. He, he's still single far as we know. And I'm going to just say this. I'm, I'm, I love my single people. I love you guys. Maybe you're single because it's God's season for you to be single. It's all right. God's got his timing. Everything's perfect in his time. But I know people that are single longer than they want to be and have to be because they always got their hands on something that's not from God. And you just don't look like a viable candidate to, to that which is of God. So if you're single and you don't want to, if you want to be unsingled, um, you know, <laughs> then be unsingled, be unconnected, don't have, you know, be really be single. You know, there are people that are like, I'm a single. And you got a dude you talk to on a regular basis at nighttime and you go out and have a meal with time time and then some other things go on. You're not really single. Don't nobody really want that. No man of God wants to link up with that. Same thing if there's some single men. I'm single. No, you're not. No, you was out with her and you stayed over there. She stayed the night. That's not single. That's not single. That's 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 involved. Single is you, you, you at home by yourself. You and Jesus. <laughs> you know, you single fella, you hanging out with the fellas, you know. I just want to make that clear. It says you're gonna be single longer than you wanna be. You, you just you won't be attractive. Why would God send a man of God to a woman that's living like that? He wouldn't do that to, to a man of God that was praying. He, that, that man look at you and the Lord's like, no, not her, man, 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 she's gonna be a headache. Same thing with the guys, you know. So, you know, I just throwing that out there, you know, for you singles. I love y'all. And, uh, and God loves you. And God's got a plan for, he got a plan and a purpose for the singleness. Every season has purpose. So don't, don't worry about unsingling yourself. Just say, Lord, let this season be everything it's supposed to be. And when you bring me him and when you bring me her, you make it clear. We'll be swift about getting to the altar about that thing and, and let the Lord be glorified in that. Amen, single people.
All right. So don't do what Samson did. Samson went down to Gaza, saw something, and he saw a harlot. And so now, again, initially he was looking and he at least wanted a wife. This time he goes down and he just, I just want pleasure. So, yeah, <laughs> Rick said, I'm on the tape, Rick said he wants to get busy. I'm quoting Brother Rick. Okay, so I, I agree, Rick. So he went down there and he saw Harlot and it says he went in there. So now he's fornicated again. He's violating the vow of the Nazarite over and over and over. And nothing's happening. That looks like he's getting away with it. Looks like it's working out. But all these things bring trouble upon his life. I know I brought it early into Samson's life. Verse two, it says, when the Gazites, um, the people from this area of Gaza, when they were told that Samson had come here, they told Samson um, that when they were told Samson has come here, they surrounded the place. They were quiet all night saying in the morning when there's daylight, we will kill him. And so basically the people of Gaza say, hey, we got him. He's in our city. We're going to let him sleep for the night. And at midnight, we're going to kill him. Now, again, I'm going to read this to you guys. I read it out that Samson laid low till midnight. Somehow word got back to Samson about what they were planning at midnight. How did I get back to Samson? How did he know? Who let him know? I, somehow God made sure that Samson knew, hey, about midnight. I mean, midnight normally, most normal folk, if you had a hard day's work or a normal day life, by midnight, you're probably in a good, you're getting that good sleep by midnight, hopefully, you know? So they said, hey, when he's knocked out, we're gonna pounce him and get him. At midnight. And so, uh, and then they, their, their intent was to kill him. Uh, this ministers to me this truth that as a believer, as a child of God, you really can't die till God is done with you. And even at times, I mean, there is, there's a merciful, God's intervening in him and his life. Um, God's just not done with him yet. He's not going to die yet because God's not done yet. I think that's important because we can spend some anxiety and some worry in this life trying to preserve it when the reality is that somehow this, this life's going to expire. I know Christians that are afraid to fly or afraid to go there, afraid to do this life. You got to die some way, you know, like it just, you can't spend this life. I mean, I don't, I don't do dumb things. I'm not jumping out of airplanes and whatnot, but, you know, I mean, you know, there are things that it's like, man, go on and live a little bit. You know, if you're going to die in an airplane then die in an airplane, go somewhere cool then die, die after the trip. Maybe, you know, like I got to die somehow. I don't know how I'm going to die. I don't know how I'm getting to heaven. I hope I'm here for the rapture, but I don't know. I just don't think it's a healthy thing for believers to be going around fearing like, like, like we're going to preserve our life. I don't think we should be irresponsible or dumb with how we take care of these lives. But I also think it's, it's, it's a bad look when you got believers that are like, God, I don't want to die. All these things that they won't do, even things that God wants them to do, they won't do because they're afraid of dying. Um, that shouldn't be the preoccupation of the life of the believer. So, again, as I read this look and I'm looking at Samson and it's like, man, he had, he had people that wanted to kill him for good reason. And he still... God was like, not yet, not time yet. Look at verse three. And Samson lay low till midnight. And then he arose at midnight and he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gate posts. And he pulled them up bar and all and put them on his shoulders. And he carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. So Samson is a clown. Satan takes their city gates and the whole city gate. This is what keeps the enemies out. And he lifts it up and he puts the whole thing post and all on his shoulders and verse three says that and he did this at midnight when they were going to come to get him 
He took them, he put them up by the shoulders, he carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron, and he puts them back down. And so when they would get up, you know, they're, they're, they're exposed. They're going to have new concerns when they get up in the morning. And so this is what I want to take us back to, and we're going we're gonna to close here. One, if, like Samson, if you see in your life a trend or a pattern of just disobedience, Take it, maybe, maybe in a sense, taking advantage of the grace of God. Or you think that I just kind of nothing's happening. It's not been that bad yet. Just kind of going. I'm challenging anybody here that would say, I, I know I'm in ongoing rebellion in any area. But we looked at Manasseh. We looked at Hezekiah. God responds to repentance. When people repent and turn, God receives them. He forgives them. But if not, judgment is coming. God is God is just. And so that part of who God is, again, we'll see it next week in Samson's life that God eventually says in Samson's life, that's it, bud. You know, you, you're going you're gonna to be, be punished at this point for what you're doing. And so if in any of our lives there's ongoing rebellion, ongoing disobedience, then tonight that we would be real before the Lord, that we would lay those things out and ask the Lord to forgive us, be merciful. We know that he will. Um, second, um, maybe like Samson, maybe some of us are here and we want to be used mightily of the Lord. Uh, again, I look at Samson. If, if God could use Samson, he wasn't even fully sold out or surrendered or obedient, but God's spirit would come upon him and Samson would accomplish the purpose of God, destroying Philistines. Now, we're not going to be out there destroying physical enemies, but there's something God has for everybody here. And so maybe you're here and you need fresh power. You need God's power upon your life. Uh, maybe you're not bold where you need to be bold. Uh, maybe you're fearful when you need to step out. Maybe you're not trusting God like, like he would like you to trust him. And so in the same way in the Old Testament, this is the one distinction of the work of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon a person and then it would, it would take, God would take it back. Remember David prayed, Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me because the Old Testament experience of the Holy Spirit was that you could have it and then take it away. Saul had it and it was taken away. And then the evil spirit was sent to torment him. And so in the New Testament, our experience with the Holy Spirit is not that. When you get born again, God gives you the Holy Spirit. Does he take him back? No, no he doesn't because it's his down payment that you belong to him. And he'll be there. He'll be there convicting. He'll be there guiding. He'll be there leading in the truth. He'll be there bringing a scripture to illumination, reminding you of stuff you need to remember at the right time. He will be there at work in the life of the child of God. And his presence there is your indicator that I belong to the Lord. Um, now, we have one experience where we're, we are indwelled by the spirit. Every believer has that. The Bible encourages us in Ephesians that we would ask God to fill us, that we would be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. That has to do with your yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the spirit is not some magical thing that happens, you know, in a service where it gets all riled up. It's, it's you saying, God, I'm yielding to you. God, fill me. Fill me says that I'm going to yield to the Lord as he guides and directs. And there'll be more of him and less of me filling my life. And so maybe for some of us that I need to be filled with the spirit, just anew and afresh. I need God to just have his way. I need to surrender and yield to the Lord. And then there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is more like what we see here. The Holy Spirit coming upon for service. And anybody here that's serving God, um, you don't even want to attempt serving the Lord in your own strength because none of us are enough. None of us can do it on our own. If you can do it in your strength, it's not a work of God anyway. It's a work of you. Um, the work that we want to see God do can only be a work. It's a work that he does. Anytime a church gathers, the believers come together, the greatest work that will happen is going to be the work God does, not the work that the people are doing. 
God mercifully and graciously will work through people. And so we ask the Lord that, God, would you pour out your spirit upon my life? Would you empower me? Even in moments where there's opportunities to do things, God, would you just come upon me? We're so glad you joined us today on A Transforming Word, where Pastor Bill has been working his way through the eventful book of Judges. In this book, you hear about men and women of valor and courage who were willing to risk their lives, but put their faith in God to the test. Gideon is just one that comes to mind as he asked God to show him what he should do, and God showed up mightily. God delights in seeing your faith go big. Do you believe God for big things, or do you sink into believing that it's too difficult for God? God just waiting to see you ask and trust Him for things in faith. Maybe you'll have a faith story that equals some of these people in the book of Judges. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're in the area, we love to see you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. and a midweek service on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. You can also find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. Under the teaching tab, you'll find links to our messages. While you're at the website, why not download the mobile app? You'll get access to all our messages so you can have them on the go. If you haven't found what you're looking for on our website, feel free to call us at 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. Our time with you is up for today, but thanks for listening. We look forward to next time as we hear a transforming word.